Welcome to the Join the Revolution podcast. Here are your hosts, Jim Montgomery and Cody Sandlin. Welcome back, everybody, to the fifth episode of the Join the Revolution podcast. I'm your host, Jim Montgomery. Excited to be back with you today. My partner in crime is here with me again, Cody Sandlin. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always uh, exciting and fun when we get to do these podcasts, you know, and I hope I hope that we're getting out to some folks and, and uh, people are enjoying them for sure. Yeah, man. You know, we uh, we went to a PDC bit forum here in Houston a couple of weeks ago. And uh, somebody came up and shook my hand and said, are, are you the guy that does the podcast? And I said, that's me. So it was kind of cool that, you know, some people are actually listening and tuning in and enjoying the feedback that we're providing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that's actually really exciting um, that you, uh, you're kind of like a celebrity now, right? I, <laughs> yeah, a celebrity with a hundred listeners, man. I'll, ta- right. I, hey, I'll take it, you know? <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, the, everybody, the voice of revolution, right? That, that's right. Everybody starts uh, start small, right? And so, for sure. But you know, uh, today's title of the show is you know sales tricks. You betcha, right? Uh, so we're going to kind of go over um, some of the most common sales tricks that are used on drilling engineers in our industry. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. You know? Yeah, no doubt. You know. Um... I, I guess we're kind of like exposing secrets of the bit business or, or something like that, you know? So I'm hoping that, that maybe it's, it's interesting and, and we could get some, get some, uh, piece of interest for sure. Yeah. You sure kind of hope something dead doesn't show up on your doorstep, you know, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but you know, before we get into it, man, have you been keeping up with the NBA playoffs at all? Oh, absolutely. I'm a big, huge basketball nut. And, and I'll tell you, this year's been really wild. Um, you know, from the, the teams that came in with the play-ins, um, you know, and then and several several of those lower seeds are actually tied series up, or they're they're winning series. You know, so um, it's just totally been unpredictable and, and complete chaos this year in the NBA. I think it's been been super exciting as a fan. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been good. I'm usually, you know, especially when my team's not in. You know, I know you're a a big Celtics fan. I'm a Rockets fan, and the Rockets are terrible. Um, you know, they've got a long way to go to get back. Uh, so I'm usually slow to get in playoff mode, you know, once it starts, but I flipped on, you know, the Phoenix game last night, you know, and the, and the Clippers were running away with it in one half and I'm kind of dozing off and I look up at the end of the third quarter and Phoenix has got a 20 point lead. And then it's a one possession ball game coming down with a minute left. I was like, good Lord. I mean, you know, the, the, the Celtics, you mentioned I was a Celtic fan, you know, so I watched those guys religiously. You know, they're up 13 points in a closeout game um, with like three minutes left, you know. And I, I think they did a comparison this morning. and It was like zero and 183 or something like that was, was the uh, the outcome, you know, when, when you have those that scenario. And, of course, you know, the Celtics found a way to, to uh, blow it there late. But I think it's just because it's – I mean, you got a lot of really good players, a lot of talented uh, teams, and it makes it exciting. You know, you can't ever – nothing's a lock anymore, you know. Yeah, right. Trey Young put on your Superman cape, right? I mean, he carried the Hawks the whole game. I mean, it was pretty wild to watch. Right. 
Right, and you know, on paper, it you would think that you know, being being a down a starter, you would think, and and Boston being at home, you would think they'd be able to close that one out pretty easily. But it's uh, it was kind of like the NFL season this year. You know, it's it's super unpredictable, and I I think it's great. Uh, brings a lot of excitement for the fans, and you know, keeps people interested for sure. Yeah, it's kind of a a cool part of the year. You know, I'm a huge football fan, so when football season's over, I call it, you know, the dog days of sports season. But, you know, we got the NBA playoffs going on, NHL's going on right now. That The Lightning Maple Leaf series is phenomenal. And then we got the draft coming up tomorrow night, you know, so uh, the NFL draft anyway. So it's kind of a cool part of sports where you get a little bit of everything right now. Baseball season's in, kicking into gear, so it, it's cool. Yeah, no doubt. I love I love this time of the year because we get we get three of the professional sports, um, you know, playing with baseball playing actually right now, and then basketball and hockey like you mentioned. But then you throw in the draft too, um, you know, here in April April May time, and man, it's 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 exciting as a sports fan for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, man, let's let's uh let's get into the show. I'm sure people didn't come. We, we might just do us a sports podcast, man. Just throw our opinions <laughs> out there. Um, you know, but we'll get into the show before we get started. I want to mention our first sponsor, which is Peden and Associates. Since 1996, the certified public accounting office of Peden and Associates has been serving the tax and accounting needs of the greater Houston area and beyond. Peden and Associates provides tax, payroll, accounting, and consulting services to individuals and small to medium sized companies. Call Jackie Peden today at 281 992 1512 to discuss how Peden and Associates can help you and your business grow. Well, man, let's roll it up. Sales right. tricks. Let's, well, let's I'm going to I'm gonna start, you know, with uh, the, I guess, the elephant in the room. You know, the one topic and the one situation that comes up in our business that nobody, uh, even from the from a salesman standpoint or from an operator, you know, you any, anybody, you know, you don't want to have this discussion and uh, this situation arises. And, and it, it's just a part of our business, but it's the DBR, you know, the, oh, yeah. you know, the, in the bit business, you know, the, the damage beyond repair bit, you know, that you got to go in and, and have those conversations. And, you know, there's several ways that, you know, as, as salesmen, we can, uh, kind of recoup some of that cost. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll start with the first one that just comes to mind and, and it's the, I guess the promise, you know, if, if let's say you do DBR a bit with a customer and it, it's not good for you as a bit company, it's not good for the operator because it's, it's extra money added costs that you're not really accounting for. You don't want to spend. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's bigger, bigger tickets that we're talking about, you know? Um, but you know, one of the first ways that I think that comes to mind is when, um, you know, the, the, the supplier comes in and they, they want to get more work. You know, because they had a failure, they came up short, and and a lot of times it's not even necessarily the fault of the of the bit supplier. Um, it could be something else, you know, regulated operation formation, something like that. Um, but they try to spread that cost, um, you know, of that DBR, that agreed to price of the DBR over more runs, um, and I think that's uh, one of the big ones that uh, it it kind of comes off as the right thing to do or, or the best thing, and, <laughs> but. But really, it's really not, you know. So what do what do what do you think about it? Yeah. So there's a couple of things with this, right? I mean, in the you know, if if it's formation related, right, and uh, it's something that's unnatural that causes a DBR, that's a really easy discussion to have, right? Usually, the operator understands. Hey, you know, we ran into eighty percent shirt, and we tore your bid up. You know, here's the check. Go on away. No, no real, you know, contentious discussion over that. But the ones that that 
really get contentious, right, or uncomfortable, what I call as uncomfortable DBR conversations, are the ones when it's just a normal run where bits don't normally DBR and you have that happen, right? Right. And so you have to go in there and do it. So one of the tricks that that commonly gets used that you were talking about is we kind of use a sticker shock effect in the sales world, right? So the price of that DBR is big. Let's just use round, it's $50,000, right? I'll just use round numbers. And so that sticker shock kind of sets people back first, right? And then you say, but, you know, if we could just agree to raise the price on our bits moving forward over five runs, over seven runs, over 10 runs, right? Then, then we'll just spread it out over that. If you'll just agree to give me more market share. And usually operators will jump on that quick, right? Because mm-hmm. they don't have to sign that $50,000 ticket, right? Which may have to go up for approval up above. But the problem with that is, is it all comes back to cost per foot, right? So if you've run a bit that's DBR'd in an area that it should not DBR, and you've just agreed to run it seven to 10 more times, what, what are your odds, Right. So the, really the best thing to do and what, how we handle that is just go in and be honest. Right. I mean, you take the approach from from our standpoint, if we dot all our I's and cross all our T's and we're 100 percent sure it's not anything in the manufacturing process, brace process, QC process. Right. Then we've got to have that DBR conversation and we do try to just go ahead and get it up front and get it out of the way. You know, because spreading it out over the cost of the run is a nice thing that we use as salespeople to play like we're the good guy, right? (laughs) We're, we're trying to make it less painful for you. But at the end of the day, you're still paying that amount of money out over time and you're impacting your cost per foot because that DBR charge isn't even as much as a single day to operate your rig and the trip likely cost you a day, right? Right. So you're kind of getting double whammied. Yeah, opinion. you know, and it, like you said, it, it cost per foot is is the the whole deal, you know. And so, if your next four or five, seven wells, or whatever the case may be, or it just steadily increased because of that one one bad run or, or whatever, you know, it uh, it's just gonna it's gonna affect you long term, not just in the short term when you think you're getting some relief instead of paying that big, you know, big DBR ticket. Yeah, absolutely, it's a sticker shock, and and, and it's used as a sales trick in every industry, right? I mean. Yeah, you ever been car shopping, right? And oh, you walk for out sure. And yeah. The window sticker, and then they're like, "Well, let me talk to my manager, and I'll see what I can do for you." You know, and then they go to the back and they talk to their manager, and they come back out. Oh, I can knock five. You know, let's just get to the real talk, right? This is right. how much it cost. It's it it got tore up. You're either willing to pay for it or you're not. You know, but we're running a business here, and we have things we've got to take care of. Right, for sure. And you know, the other the other one that comes to mind, Jim, um, that we see a lot. Um, and, and, and not necessarily from uh, from the sales side, but also from, you know, from our customers, um, you know, they, they want to dig into the history of the bit, you know, the, the, life, the lifespan of the bit and how many runs were on it and, you know, how much money was collected on it, um, you know, and so let's say you DBR bid and and it had, you know, it was repaired seven times, you know, and then you sure. figure up how much, you know, on average, what you get um, per ticket. And they're like, oh, well, you made, you know, 40 or $50,000 on that bit. And, you know, that's not always the case. Um, you know, back when I was in the motor business, you know, we, we had a big deal that we always preached to our customers, you know, we repair that bit as new. Um, and, and just because it, you know, the body may not be 
you know, on its first run or whatever, but you know, it, it may have had brand new, a whole complete set of cutters right before that run, sure. you know? And so that's, you know, I think that's one thing that um, there's just kind of a breakdown in communication, you know, between sales and, and, and customer. And um, so what do you, you know, do you have yeah. any insight? Yeah, kind of for sure. That? So there's always a big disconnect here. Right. And I've heard this question asked at, at a lot of forums and I've heard it answered by some of the top people in the industry. Um, that when a bit comes back in and repair it's repaired and leaves the facility and goes back out, it's as if it's brand new. And I just want to dispute that. Right. Okay. Because what should really be said is we have a quality control procedure that we have and and measurements and metrics in place that say whether a bit is good enough to go back out and run again, or whether it is not good enough to go back out and run again, right? And so because of all of these runs over time, we know that if we send a bit out after this many repairs and we do all of our measurements on it, right? Because a bit comes back, a bit goes out in the field, right? And it runs and it runs in a, a hellacious environment. It runs under 20, 18 to 20,000 pounds of torque. It runs with 50 to 70,000 pounds weight on bit. It comes back damaged, okay? In every metal, whether you're in matrix or you're in steel, it fatigues, right? We've seen it with steel bodies. We've seen it with matrix body bits. They have fatigue cracks in them, right? The blades get worn. The pockets get enlarged, right? So all of these happen over the course of the run with a PDC drill bit. And so no, on the fifth or sixth run, it is not like the bit is brand new, right? It just passes that criteria that we can send it back out and run it again. And what I really want to be clear on when it comes to DBRs and the number of previous runs on the bit is that for bit companies, it's purely a business calculation, right? When we are willing to discount the bit that's already had three to four previous runs on it, it's because we're closer to the margin that we have to get on that bit. The bit is an investment. It's an asset. It has to be paid for over time, right? So, you know, a brand new bit obviously is going to have a higher DBR charge most of the time. A run, a bit that we have on the fifth or sixth run, we can negotiate with that to make it less painful for the operator, but it's not because it wasn't good quality. It was, right? It passed all the criteria to leave the shop, but we're able to make a deal with you because of financials. That's what should really be discussed about because I think the industry gets confused when they get to run five and repair six and repair seven and the prices start coming down and down and down on the DVRs. The industry assumes the bit wasn't as good as it was on one or you charge me just as much money for it. No, you know, it's just salesmen being nice people, to be honest with you. We could, right? We could go charge $50,000, but we're we're just trying to take care of our customers. So, you know, we have set margins here that we have to meet. Other companies have set margins that they have to meet. It is purely a financial calculation. That is it. Right. And, you know, and then I think a lot of it goes to, you know, on your relationship and, and, um, you know, trying, trying to be as flexible as possible and as understanding and willing to work. Um, but to, you know, for to me, it just goes back to, um, you know, your integrity, you know, always, always being upfront and honest with your customer. You mentioned that earlier. I think that's the biggest, the biggest key, um, you know, when you're having these conversations and if you develop that sense of trust, you know, it makes those conversations a lot easier and, and you, you know, you throw out there, like, you know, like you said, we try to be as transparent as possible and, and, and we just lay it out there for you. Hey, look, here's the situation. This is where we're at. What can you do? You know, how can you help me? And um, I think that's, you know, one of the better ways to approach it for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, you really 
don't want to call trust into the equation. And by saying it's like brand new on the fifth run, I think that brings that trust factor into the equation. And when I explain it the way I did is we have a QC process, right? And it goes through the QC process and we know how far a bit can go along before it goes back out. And, um, you know, we retired plenty of bits already in our short existence because they just weren't fit enough to go back out. And, you know, it's what we have to do as a drill bit provider. And then the operator has to be able to trust that you're not going to put something back together just to make an extra dollar. Right. Right. And I can imagine the bigger you get, the harder that is. Right. I mean, the QC process is what it is, right. Your processes are what they are, but man, I, you know, with the little bit of bits we have in the fleet, can you imagine having 2000 of them in the fleet or 4,000 of them in the fleet going through a pair? It gets difficult. No doubt. Um, you know, the other thing while you're, you're kind of explaining in right there, um, you know, for smaller folks like ourselves, one thing that I wanted to bring up is, um, you know, the lost revenue for that bit that we're going to accrue during the time it takes to make another one. Um, you know, I think that's something for sure that, gets overlooked by everybody and like i said you know like i said for us we're smaller um you know that could take three or four weeks for us to get that that one bit replaced you know and you're out that money while you're waiting and so it's kind of like a double-edged sword there um and i think that's one thing that never really gets looked at or thought about you know sure yeah i mean that's a that's a really good point because we all have a flow of things the way they go through the manufacturing shop right so to replace it quickly it's got to jump in front of something else or if it falls in the natural flow, it falls back and way back in the timeline. So, you know, as I said, the bit is an asset, right? For us, it's the most important thing we can have as sales reps is bits on the ground to go deliver. Um, you know, that I think that comes in right behind bits in the hole, <laughs> you know, is, is having the next one to take out there. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a big deal for us as a drill bit company. You know, I, I talk about it all the time, the importance of a drill bit, yet, you know, in my opinion, and I'm biased, right? Because your directional people are going to are gonna argue against it. And I'm sure other people are going to argue against it. But you can't make one foot without a drill bit. Yet it's the, the thing in the hole that's most constantly price pressured, right? The oh, price pressure, sure. drive yeah. the price down, drive the price down. You know, Cody, 10 years ago, what, well, I mean, we're in 2023 now. I can't even say 10 years ago. It's like 15 years ago, right? PDC bits were coming on. The deep leach cutter was out. I mean, we were getting a through-the-table charge, a footage charge, and a big DBR charge if they got tore up. Now we're at flat rentals, and we got to haggle on DBR charges. Yeah, absolutely. You know? The, it's a, the uh, pricing points, and and I guess the you know the industry commodity, you know, making it a commodity, the bit business is is kind of hurt that. Um, yeah, I say yeah we're, for sure. I say we're all silly. We should have all dug our heels in the ground and said no. You know, right. but there's always that. <laughs> that first person that wants to go to the floor to grab market share. Right. So they've got a lot of inventory and they go to the floor and discount it and, and go grab a market share. And then everybody else has to play the game, you know? So, you know, in a lot of ways, our industry's really kind of sabotaged itself. Um, because as I said, you, you, you're not, unless you could put a shovel on the end of the stream, you know, without a, a, a PDC bit or, or a tricone bit, you're not making whole. Right. Well, let's, uh, we kind of talked on DBRs and uh, kind of explained those. Let's uh, bring up another one that's a kind of a, a hot topic button, um, especially, you know, in our conversations. But um, 
mo- the model number and assembly number and and that carousel of of what you what you think you're getting what you what what actually ends up showing up on location um you know i think there's a as a as an industry we've done a lot to kind of simplify and just say hey i need a 616 well i mean shoot you know for the big vendors they have a you know, a thousand of six one sixes, you know, um, for us, you know, you're just starting out. We only have a handful and we can really kind of keep a good control of that. But, um, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, like nomenclature, the difference between that and model numbers and serial numbers and, and why those are important and, and what it does, how it, you know, translate to our, our yeah, day-to-day business. Absolutely. This is, this one is so critical, man. Uh, I'm glad you asked it because, <clears throat> Everybody has a nomenclature, right? And so nomenclature is really simple. It's it's the description of the bit when you deliver it to the rig and you write it down on the delivery ticket or it's written in the bit record or it's in the daily report, right? And they all sound eerily similar, right? Like BMF 616 is ours. Other people have, you know, CF 616 or they have GT65, they have different numbers in there, right? But it really just kind of describes the physical appearance of the bit, right? So 12 and a quarter inch BMF 616. It's a 12 and a quarter inch bit. BMF is just the name of our product line, right? And then 616 is the designation for six six blades and 16 mil cutters, okay? Now you can go on further because people expand that nomenclature out to, you know, talk about the physical features that are on the bit. But in the grand scheme of things, the nomenclature and the serial number are really irrelevant. What's most important is your model number, your assembly number, part number, right? Everybody calls them different. We call it a model number. Some people call it assembly number. Some people call it a part number. But this is the guts of the bit, right? This talks about the spiral order. It talks about back rake scheme. It talks about what really makes the difference when that bit is in the ground, right? So it is the specific design. So every single design will have a specific model assembly or part number. Okay, so let's just call it number one, okay, for stuff. We've got a BMF 616 model number one, okay? We run that with a customer and we decide we want to tweak it. It come out with BMF 616 model number two, right? But on just about everybody's stickers or what doesn't get talked about is model number, assembly number, part number. Those things just don't get talked about. So I actually did this study with a with a customer of mine, right, who was saying, man, this, this bit, drill bit provider, you know, they drop one, it runs like a house on fire. They drop another one and it, it's got the same nomenclature and it's just not as good. What's going on? So we started tracking these model assembly number, part number things, right? And we, what we realized is they just weren't getting the same bit, right? And, and that happens, especially when there's, you know, large companies or a disconnect between the office and the field, or maybe you just have inventory, inventory constraints, period. So you can slide that in there right? As a salesperson, as a little bit of a trick, hey, it's a BMF 616, man. That's the same bit. It's a CF 616. It's the same bit. It's not, right? So what I've encouraged everybody that we work with to do is to track that number and then compare performance on that model assembly and part number. Forget the nomenclature. You can track it, sure, but don't make decisions on what you're going to run and what you're going to buy by the nomenclature of the bit. Make it by the the part assembly and model number in the performance of that bit, because 
oftentimes, and we can, we've seen it everywhere we go. And, you know, our field guys are very aware to it, very, very aware to it, that they know when our competitors drop a completely different bit. Right. And so we, we will raise the red flag on that because our philosophy here is to expose our, our model numbers. Right. I mean, I just seen an email earlier this week to a customer that listed all four of the different 12 and a quarters we designed for them. Right. And they're all called BMF 616. They just all have different model numbers. Right. And so I'm trying to share that information with them and be open and honest with them about it. And there needs to be a level of accountability back in our business for our customer's sake that says you are going to get the same thing from me every time because it matters. Right. It matters how much you spend. It matters how long it takes you to drill these wells and get them done. It matters for the whole industry. Right. So I think it's very, very crucial to keep your eyes keenly aware on that because it happens and it happens daily. Absolutely. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind, you know, um, and this has not only happened at, you know, where we are now and and where we've been previously, you know, um, but a customer gets set, they, they, uh, they, they pick apart a, a portion or part of a model assembly or a part number, you know, and, and, and that's how they reference that bit. And by golly, that's the only bit they want. Yeah, I think you you're know? talking and about we, the nomenclature, right? Right, nomenclature-wise. Yeah, exactly. And we may have, you know, two or three different versions after that that are better and and they're still stuck on wanting, you know, revision one instead of, you know, revision four or five, which is, you know, proven to be the best bit for the op you know the application and so that's that's where it kind of gets tricky but you know I, like you said if you i think if you're just upfront and honest and you lay it out there and um you know i think that's one of the beauty things of for us being a smaller bit company is we don't make of you know a hundred bits of one model number you know we make two or three and and run those and then and tweak as we go and and you know constantly developing and um you know making it better so yeah absolutely you know it's uh we see it a lot at the field level where they get married up to the nomenclature, you know, they, they, cause they write it down in their, their daily reports and they see that it does a good job. But again, you know, I, I, I want to emphasize this. They're not all the same, just like all our BMF 616s are not the same at every single company that, that is a competitor of ours. They're whatever you call it, 616 or 713 or 613 and every whole size, every single one of those is not the same. They're identified by their model assembly and part number. So that's where you've got to get to instead of ordering off nomenclature. Right, for sure. Well, man, I uh, I think we we jumped into it, right? I mean, we could keep going on and on. I mean, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think that's that's it. You know, like I said, we, we, we talked about it, you know, just uh, – from from a customer standpoint and from a buyer standpoint, you know, know know what you're getting, know what you're asking for, and then and then hold them accountable that that's what you're going to get every time. You know, I think yeah. that's the biggest takeaway. I think I think there's you know if if I could add one more one more element one more layer of this into here, right? And and you and I kind of you know we've called it the bait and switch or uh, something like that. But we know that there are, you know, gold customers, what you would consider a gold mine customer in this business, right? And they're the giants. They've got 24 rigs running. I mean, we're talking about your oxys. We're talking about your pioneers, right? Diamondback. You look at how many rigs those guys are have going, and there's no doubt that they are getting the most engineered, highly developed product there, 
Okay. But when you trickle down that list and you start looking at operators that have three rigs running and two rigs running and one rig running, we've been at the majors before, man. They just don't make that priority queue, right? These guys are after those guys with 26 rigs running. That's not that they're going to pass up on somebody with one or two or three, but often, and I've seen this happen with somebody that's had one drilling rig running, right? They come, they bring the best of the best out there and it makes a really good run. And our, like I've said before in a previous podcast, our competition makes really, really strong products, right? And then they say, okay, we're going to roll with it. And they order three more of the same number out and they're all drilled terribly. And so we did the, the, the model part number exercise. They're not getting the same thing. It's a little bit of a bait and switch, right? You run something really good to get the work and then you fill it in with old inventory afterwards. And I know that, you know, that's, I'm walking a fine line here, but I just know what happens. I've been in the business. Right. right. You know, uh, no doubt. I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And, uh, like I said, at the end of the day, you know, just, it comes down to the, the trust and the integrity and, and doing what you say and saying what you do, you know? And so, um, you know, for us, that's a luxury cause we don't have a thousand, you know, bits, but, um, you know, are always constantly developing and, um, you know, the other thing is I think our, our, our customers trust that we're going to bring them what they need, you know, yeah, not absolutely. necessarily what they ask for or, you know, buy nomenclature or whatever, but, um, you know, I always try to do my best to, to give the customer what they need and not necessarily what they always ask for, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. And sometimes that's not us, right? I think it's, you know, if you talk about revolution drill bits and you ask what, what, what are they, and, and you ask us for a program, we're going to program to the best of our knowledge what the best in the industry is right now. And if I don't have something that's the best in the industry right now, I'm not going to program it. And well, I got a lot of shock at this when I did this for, for a customer of ours, you know, I programmed 17 and a half, 12 and a quarter, nine and seven eighths for RDB, baby. But when it got to that curve section, I programmed somebody else, right? And said, hey, we're, we're working on our curve, curve bits and we're working on our horizontal bits. But right now, that's not an avenue that I feel comfortable jumping off into. These are the guys you should probably talk to. And right. so, you know. Now, if you worked at, at a major and I've been there and you've been there, you get slapped back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you're not putting a competitor on there, but I want our customers to understand that your interest is my interest. Right. And so just getting a bit in the ground for the sake of getting one is not something I want to do. I want to win. And so until I feel comfortable and in a position where we can win, I'm not going to try to get you to run it. That's just right. as simple as that. Well, you know, and the other the other thing too, just here before we we wrap up, you know, we 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 try to watch every run we can, you know, when our our customers, you know, give us that live access, you know. But not only do we watch our runs, but you know, we watch the competitor runs, and we you know evaluate those for them, and uh, and say, hey, look, you know what what you're running before um, from you know vendor A, it, it's it was better than what you're currently running, you know, and so. Uh, I think that's another thing that kind of sets us apart that, you know, I think our customers appreciate. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we have a passion for, for drill bits and for this business and, and just for drilling performance in general. Right. And so we, you know, we watch it all. Did they change motor types and what type of motor did they change to? Did they change bit types and what type of bit type did they change to? And, and that information, you know, it's not like we can learn a whole lot. You know, I don't have the competitor's bit design in front of me. You know, so when you say you're running model A616, 
it doesn't really make any difference to me. I can only see the performance at the end of that. Um, so, you know, but I'm still, whether I'm in the hole or not going to provide feedback based on that. And, you know, I think our customers find that valuable, you know, because I was just talking with one last week and they're running a competitor of ours, but they haven't seen a salesman of theirs in two months. So that'll tell you how good our competition can be. The majors can be right. They don't even call on them, but once every two months and they're still getting runs. You know, so, you know, I just, I go ahead and handle the performance for them because at the end of the day, when we do have a product that, that takes over and wins, it's going to be all us, right? Because right. we're going to be faithful to that, that customer repeatedly. And we're not going to, you know, dip out and say, Hey, well, you're not that important because you've only got a couple of reads running. For sure. No, it's all, it's all good stuff. And like you said, we could probably sit here and go on for days, you know, about it, but, um, I, I guess we probably need to wrap it up a little bit. Um, and before we go, I'd like to thank our other, other sponsor, and that's Lars Sandlin State Farm in Midland, Texas. For over 100 years, State Farm has helped people manage the risk of everyday life, helped rebuild neighborhoods, invested in our communities, and supported education and safety initiatives across the country. It's what being a good neighbor is all about. Laura and her team have over 70 combined years of experience in the industry, in the insurance industry, offering a variety of insurance coverages from car, home, small business, life, and health to investments and banking opportunities. Uh, stop to buy today for a free quote and see how State Farm can bundle your policies and save you money. Uh, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm going to give you a B plus on that one, man. I'm going to give you oh. a B plus on that one. We're going to have to practice on that one. Laura's not going to be too happy with you on that one. Uh. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. She, she, may, she may have to shorten up her, her message, right? <laughs> exactly. She didn't have to make it so windy. That's a lot of Yeah, I'm that's just a, a lot. I'm just a bit peddler, man. Can't that's it. That much. <laughs> Hey, just watch the watch the NBA playoffs, and there'll be tons of State Farm commercials. As they're a, you know they're a big supporter of the NBA, and and there you go. There's, there's your, a plug right there. That's it. Tune plug. into the NBA <laughs> on TNT tonight. Hey, that's the best. That's the best show pregame halftime show there is. Oh, absolutely! Those four guys that do yeah. it, man. They they're comical, uh, and and they're knowledge based. Man, they have they have so for much sure. knowledge. For sure. You know, Kenny stays on there and, you know, Kenny's the little guy, but you know, I, I enjoy what Kenny's got to say because he breaks the game down really, really well. You know, now, obviously Shaq and Charles sure. when they get at each other are a trip, but look, before we wrap it up, if, if you're a listener uh, and you'd like to hear any topics discussed, this was one that was, that was brought to us. So uh, we put it out there. We will do whatever you want to talk about. Uh, shoot me a message on LinkedIn or shoot me, uh, go to our website and get a hold of us at the office uh, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, drop us a note. We're glad to bring you on, have you talk about your company, your product, um, and you you can pitch it out there. Um, but if you'd like to know any, any more information about Revolution Drill Bits, you can visit our website at www.revdrillbits.com. That's R-E-V-drillbits.com. We've got a LinkedIn page up, Revolution Drill Bits, uh, and, or you could give us a call. It's 832-299-BITS. Uh, and if you're if you're an operator out there that's that's looking to challenge the status quo, I'm telling you, we are the guys to do it. We will push that envelope of performance uh, and it will make everybody bring their best to the table. Uh, Cody, thank you for hosting with me, man. Thanks to our sponsors. Uh, Absolutely. We, always, yeah. always fun. We will uh, we'll be back a month from now. Uh, fourth week of May. Uh, we'll decide on a topic, kind of leave it up to, to what kind of feedback we get. Uh, but that's it for us today. Don't forget, 
join the revolution.